Virginia Tech and UVA both falter on the road. Whose loss was more damaging? Who's the favorite now in the Coastal Division, and could Clemson lose its grip on the Atlantic? All that and Aaron McFarland's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 59 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mike. Great to talk to you. Now, David, the the first road games of the college football season for Tech and for UVA uh, sent us on our first road trips this month. You were off to Morgantown for the Tech-West Virginia game, me down to Chapel Hill for the Hoos and the Tar Heels. I don't know how your traveling went. I, I had to wait to check into my hotel. I had a DoorDash driver drop my uh, dumplings at, on the wrong floor of the hotel. Um, and then our friend Bennett Conlon from the Daily Progress told me he waited multiple hours to get into his room. Uh, Chapel Hill was a little overwhelmed. I think all three of the Triangle schools may have been uh, in action. I, I hope your travels to wild and wonderful West Virginia were a bit smoother. Uh, not so much. Mm. Let's just put it this way, Mike. The way Google Maps routed me to my hotel, there were several moments where had the rental rig broken down, you would still be looking for me. (laughs) Such were the winding, hairpin, mountainous, two-lane roads with no cell service. Yeah, I, I've done that trip, and I remember, and I'm sure it was my mistake, um, at some point going away that was either not as good as it could have been or it wasn't the best choice, but I ended up basically driving to the top of a mountain trying to get signal just so that my GPS could go back and tell me where I was and where to go, and um, ever since then, that that's actually the trip, I believe, that started this habit for me. I get the step-by-step directions on my phone GPS, and I take a screenshot of it uh, so that if I lose connection, I still have some idea where I'm heading because, yeah, there, there, are, some, there are some far-flung places on the old travel schedule, aren't there? No, no question. And suffice to say, I came home all interstate, and it was glorious. <laughs> Not the most scenic, but certainly the easiest, and yes. sometimes that's the best play. Well, you were in Morgantown for that old Big East rivalry renewed between Virginia Tech and West Virginia. Uh, let's start there today. And, and and David, speaking of starts, not a particularly good one for Virginia Tech. No, when on the opponent's second play, they go 80 yards untouched up the gut of your defense. That's cause for concern. And it went downhill from there. You know, Tech's down 24 to 7. At, at halftime, 27 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. But then all of a sudden, late, they're in a position to steal a game, Mike. They had no business winning. So, was there a defensive, I mean, I guess there was, turnaround improvement in the second half? Because, I mean, you mentioned 24 in the first half and a little else from the Mountaineers after that. West Virginia ran. 30 plays for 270 yards in the first half. That's nine a pop. Mm. Second half, 29 plays, 99 yards. 
So, so what, what what changed? To, I mean, just better execution. Do you think they were overwhelmed by the the road trip in the moment, or or were these X's and O's adjustments? What did you see? Justin Fuente said they were not X and O adjustments. It was simply a matter of execution, as you alluded to, and just being more comfortable in the moment. He he thought that the Hokies, especially on the defensive side, were trying so hard individually to make plays that they lost sight of the collective and and the assignments needed that they just found themselves out of position. And then there were a few missed tackles. And the Mountaineers are fast now on both sides of the football. And it really, really torched the Hokies there in the opening 30 minutes. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about UVA and Carolina later also, but I think there was there's an element sometimes of when you go from a subpar opponent to an opponent who really does put athletes on the field who one-on-one individually uh, can beat you. Um, it, I think there's an, an acclimation period there uh, for a defense to, you know, a guy that you can get down pretty easily versus a guy that can make you miss and, and turn in a big play pretty easily. Now, what, what compounded that, David, was some pretty – uh, noticeable struggles in the red zone for the offense. Um, this game didn't have to go the way it did if the Hokies were a little bit better uh, when they had a chance to score. What did you see happen in there? Mike, if they had just been marginally competent, <laughs> seriously, they, yeah. they, they, they would have won. I mean, <laughs> Justin Fuente yesterday with one of the great three-word answers of all time when our colleague Mike Nizelik of the Roanoke Times asked him, now that you've reviewed the film, Coach, what stood out about – did anything stand out about your red zone play? Quoting, yeah, we stunk. <laughs> and succinct to the point and can't argue with it, right? No, and 100% accurate. And it was a combination of things. It was execution. It was a silly penalty. It was just getting beat at the point of attack. It was play calling, all the above. And when when you fail to score on three opportunities inside the 10-yard line, fail to score a single point, hmm. I mean, it's... It's, it's a recipe f- for, for defeat, and, and sure enough, that's what happened. And, of course, you know, the, the, the killer sequence was, was there at the end. They're down 27-21. West Virginia's trying to run out the clock. When J- Jermaine Waller, you know, picks off this bubble screen that the Mountaineers are trying to run on third and 10, and all of a sudden the Hokies have first down at the West Virginia 17 inside a couple minutes – and you're thinking they are, they are going to heist this thing and run home to Blacksburg with the Black Diamond Trophy yet again. But nope, couldn't make it happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned play calling because that's certainly where, where all the fans uh, certainly oh, yeah. turn their attention post game. Um, what did Justin Fuente say? Because I know he was asked about Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator. I, I remember, obviously, last season when I oh, asked yeah. him about the possibility of, of taking over play calling or making a change there, and, and he said my, my question was ludicrous crap. I imagine uh, when questioned about the same topic, he was a, a little more polite this time around? He was, but he he fiercely defends Cornelson. I, the, the one play that 
everyone talked about was the handoff to Trey Turner on Mm -hmm. third and goal at the five to the boundary side of the field. And it it was just doomed from the start, Mike. I mean, there's an unblocked corner standing right there. He can't help but tackle Trey Turner. He's (laughs) running right into him. I mean, poor Turner had no chance. So as gifted an athlete as he is, he had no chance to make a play there. None. And, you know, that, that was the one. Otherwise, I'm not sure that the play calling was was all that bad. Now, on their first possession inside the 10, well, this was actually a first and goal at the 10 in late in the second quarter. We might have had another Danny Cole situation because it sure looked like even when I got home and watched on DVR, the Tavian Robinson yeah. caught the ball in the end zone. And he certainly thought so. He absolutely did. Said it very politely. But when I asked him, did you catch it? He said, yes, I yeah. I am certain that I did. And, you know, on, on replay, I agree with him. But it was called incomplete on the field and the replay booth did not see enough to overturn. But then Burmeister missed some throws. I thought he missed some reads on on some inside handoffs, you know, especially on the last sequence. If he just pulls it and boots out to his left, I'm standing right there in the back of the end zone. I turned to our friend Andy Bitter from The Athletic and said, this is right before the play. This is on, on like second and goal from the three or the four. I said, all he has to do is pull it. He'll walk in. And he would have. If, if you watch the second down play. It's interesting because I know Justin Fuente uh, essentially asserted that uh, those weren't read plays. Um, so I guess he didn't have the option, but well, I, I always come, have. yeah, I, I always come back to that because I don't like criticizing play calling. I think that the coaches understand what their players do well, understand the situation. Um, and it's so easy to criticize when it doesn't work out. What I criticize is sometimes the, the defense of play calling, which, you know, if you call the play, and it didn't work, that was the wrong decision, right? Your logic can be right. Your logic can be sound. I remember we used to get into these conversations with Scott Leffler, the old offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, who would very uh, intelligently and clearly explain the thought process by why he'd run a play in a certain situation. Um, and then I'd sort of come back and say, yeah, but you did it four times the last two weeks and it's never worked, right? Like at some point you've got to know what your group can execute what your group will execute in in different spots and you know i wonder and and we're not here to make excuses but the james mitchell injury david um, Mm -hmm. because of his versatility it isn't just losing your tight end it's losing a guy who does a lot of things it's losing a lot of plays i imagine from your play sheet that you're not going to run with anyone else and and justin fuente mentioned that you know their other two tight ends nick gallo and drake delulius are good players and and good tight ends um but that tight end role wasn't crafted for tight ends. <laughs> it was crafted this year for James Mitchell. And and, and I think losing him, um, there's some reshaping of the offense that, and I know nobody wants to hear it, but I, I think it's going to take a game or two to reshape the offense because I think a lot came off that old Brad Cornelson play card when James Mitchell wasn't at the tight end spot. Agreed. I still don't think it, it, it excuses what happened Saturday and what was a bigger injury in in my mind yeah. was the in-game loss of Silas Janzi at right tackle because that position became problematic for about three quarters 
of the game. What Tech did was it brought Tyrell Smith off the bench and put him at right tackle. Well, Smith gets blown up on a fourth and one Mm -hmm. where Burmeister gets stuffed for no gain at the West Virginia, I believe it was 24-yard line. So there's one scoring drive kaput. Then he gets two false start penalties, one of which was inside the five. So again, inside the West Virginia five. Mm -hmm. That that leads to a 24-yard field goal attempt that John Parker Romo misses. So frustrated there, they pulled Tyrell Smith, moved Brock Hoffman from center to right tackle, and brought Johnny Jordan in to play center. Mike Brock Hoffman is a really good center, and he's probably a really good guard. On Saturday, he was a really poor right tackle, and he got beat for it. Two sacks in the fourth quarter. One on on the goal line that was that was a strip sack. He he was no match for West Virginia's speed off the edge. He just couldn't block them. Yeah, and he hasn't been. And again, not making excuses, but he hasn't been working there. I mean, the right. kid's a you know he's a Remington candidate at center. Um, and I understand they're just doing what they. And this is what they talked about because how many times did I ask Justin Fuente in the preseason about depth concerns and. Um, you know, they all said that, hey, the good thing about the offensive line is they've got a lot of guys who can play a lot of different spots. And that's great in theory, but can they play them well? And to your point, you know, Brock Hoffman is an outstanding interior lineman and is a functional offensive tackle, but obviously not at the level that they needed. Now, have a big picture because Justin Fuente told us on Monday he has no idea who's going to play right tackle in this next game uh, uh, here against Richmond. They're hoping that uh, Parker Clements maybe is back, that maybe Silas Zanzi is back. Um, obviously, I, I assume the plan would be to move Hoffman back to center if either of those guys can become available again. Um, but big picture, you're not getting Mitchell back. You've got a question at tackle. You've got some potential issues now at place kicker. Um, what are we looking at with this team? Great question. And they're not real thrilled. Well, they're not thrilled at all with the way Burmeister's playing. Yeah. So, yeah, there are serious questions on that side of the football for Virginia Tech moving forward. And, and you're right to, to mention Parker Clements because li- little did we realize that he didn't even make the trip. Yeah. That was not revealed to us in, in, until – um, I guess until Fuente said something Monday. Monday, yep. <laughs> so we, we didn't know he, you know, you, you try to look on the sideline and see who's around, but never dawned on us that he, he wasn't even there. And he's usually the, the backup at right tackle and was once considered a potential starter. He was running with the ones during spring. Yeah, that was part of the reason they were feeling better about the depth, and and mm-hmm. obviously that's not there right now. Um, I've got an article posted right now at Richmond.com, essentially uh, arguing that coastal chaos is back uh, now. The good news for Virginia Tech, this is a non-conference game, mm-hmm. right? And and next week is a non-conference game, and Notre Dame is a non-conference game. Uh, so they've got some time to work out all these kinks that you just talked about, and I understand that. West Virginia and Notre Dame probably mean as much as any game on the schedule to the fan base. I think Justin Fuente gets that, right? He, he was not diminishing the importance of those games. But at the end of the day, if you're this Virginia Tech team, you're Justin Fuente and you're in the situation you're in, which you know we've talked about plenty, how he needs to win this year for his job security. It's about winning the division. And this team is in no worse position to win the division than they've been since they beat Carolina week one. Now there may be more doubt (laughs) creeping up around whether they can do that. But in terms of where they're at, David, they're still in the same spot they were in a couple weeks ago. 
True. Sitting there at 1-0, and they own the tiebreaker against the Tar Heels. Um, but all that said, you know, we, we, we talked about after week one, who's the favorite in the Coastal? I still thought it was North Carolina, and I still think it's North Carolina. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you got some empirical evidence, some data to back up your argument, because uh, North Carolina just took it to Virginia in what figures to be another pivotal coastal game. And, you know, David, I, I was I was sitting out on the on the balcony there at Keenan Stadium with uh, our friend Luke DeCock, um, great columnist down there. And, and I was asking him, I said, at this point, if you're the ACC, and this is I don't know, 10 minutes before kickoff. Who are you rooting for in this one? Uh, are you rooting for UVA because they still have the chance to kind of control their own destiny if, if things go right and they win? Um, are you rooting for Carolina because, honestly, they seem more built to get the job done? Um, and what we kind of agreed was, hey, whoever wins, <laughs> that's going to be the horse that the ACC needs to ride. Well, David, they're they're going to ride the Tar Heels if that's the case because fifty nine thirty nine. It was the offense we expected to see, the offense we didn't see in the opener against Virginia Tech. Uh, UVA's defense had no answers really all game long. Uh, Virginia's offense continues to be outstanding, but they just couldn't slow down Carolina. Mike, I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure it was the offense we expected to see from Carolina because this offense <laughs> was flawless. <laughs> And I and I don't well except for for that pick, but six hundred and ninety nine yards, ten point three yards per play, no punts. I mean, and and balance. You know, Sam Howell throws five touchdown passes, but yet in the second half, the Tar Heels just trampled UVA on the ground with Howell and and, and Ty Chandler. You know, th- that kind of, of offense is, you know, it's, it's almost indefensible. And, and clearly UVA <laughs> gave, gave them all kinds of help, you know, out of position, missed tackles. And, whew, and all of a sudden, you know, Friday night, here comes Wake Forest. Yeah, it, it doesn't set up well. I mean, you look at that and the number one thing I've seen is since Sam Howell has started running the ball more, um, they've just become that much harder to defend. And it isn't just about his yards. It's it's more about what opposing defenses have to do and to be aware of him. Uh, and now Ch- Ty Chandler, the transfer from Tennessee, seems to be getting going. And those receivers on the outside, right? They knew Josh Downs was going to be pretty good this year, but they're getting some guys on the outside. It, it's starting to look, David, a lot like the offense last year that was <laughs> pretty close to indefensible. And uh, I, I think Howell's not ability because it's always been there, but willingness to move the chains with his legs has been a big part of, of their turnaround. Yeah, and and Mac Brown addressed that, Mike. Uh, I was listening as I was driving home from Morgantown. I was listening to the Carolina, actually the ACC Network's post game show, The Huddle, and they had Mac on set, and he talked about how. Hal is just, he's a better athlete this season. He is more willing to, to, to run the ball. And that that's become, I don't know if essential is the right word, but certainly a dangerous part of their offense. Now, if there's some silver linings, and I, I think there were some silver linings, if there can be in a, in a beating like that in a division game for, for UVA, but, um, after it looks like they're going to get just run out of the building, they did stage a comeback and actually took the lead uh, at halftime. David, 
encouraging or, or maybe making too much out of <laughs> a short-lived uh, fight back there? Oh, absolutely encouraging. Much like Virginia Tech's comeback from 27-7 down on the road was, I, th- I think for Virginia to, to go into halftime ahead in Chapel Hill after that start. What, UVA scored the last 21 points in the second quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I think, how many minutes are we into the podcast so far, Mike? About 22. I, I think it's criminal we haven't uttered the words Brennan Armstrong yeah, yet. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, and it might be criminal that he wasn't the ACC quarterback of the week. That award went to Howell, who was excellent in many ways. Brendan Armstrong had the greatest single passing game uh, in Virginia program history, threw for 554 yards. Um, He's the first UVA quarterback to throw for 300 yards in three straight games. He's the first UVA quarterback to throw for over 400 yards in back-to-back games, and he's the first ever to throw for 500. Uh, Brennan Armstrong, we said before the season that if Brennan Armstrong elevates his game, Virginia has a chance to be good offensively. And David, Brennan Armstrong has elevated his game. Yeah, I, I mean, he leads the nation in in passing yards. What is he? He's approaching 1,300, right? He's at 1,298 1, yards, 11 yeah, touchdowns. That's... And he's completing just under 72%, 72% of his throws. Yeah, no, it's... It's crazy, and now granted, he he gets some gifts where he just kind of tosses it forward there behind the line of scrimmage, and that counts as a forward pass. But I mean, his deep deep balls to Wicks, that one that he put in there, I'm I'm not he he like dropped it out of the sky, mm-hmm. r- right into Wicks's arms. And he had one I mean, like that to Billy Kemp as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's just stunning accuracy. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's the thing that I don't know if I'd say was missing you know last year was the really razor sharp accuracy and, and there's a comfort level right now with Brennan Armstrong that he just seems to know and, and this is what we praise Sam Howell for and deservedly so Brennan Armstrong seems to know pre-snap have a really good sense of what's about to happen and then as the defense starts to move when the ball is snapped. It, it crystallizes for him, right? There's none of that confusion. There's no hesitation. And there's none of that, here's my look, and if it's not there, I'll run it, which, you know, Brendan Armstrong is a very gifted runner. Um, he was limited in this game because of the knee yeah. injury he suffered against Illinois. And you could tell, right, that that mm-hmm. wasn't a part of the offense. But um, none of that is there this year. This year, it's he knows four or five guys deep into the pattern, you know, where he could go, where his safety is. Uh, I just think he's made a tremendous uh, advancement mentally with his game and then physically his play has been sparkling really has i mike you mentioned the knee Mm -hmm. and that brace and i i worry and wonder about that virginia needs him to be mobile and to be a big part of of the ground game they they really do and you just wonder, I mean, how lingering is this? You know, can, can he, you know, can it get healed during a season where he's inevitably going to gonna take some hits? I, I don't know. But I, I think for Virginia to have the kind of season that Bronco Mendenhall and his players truly believe they can have, they need him to be ambulatory. In a big way. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said that because I thought they took a step the other direction to maybe putting him in an ambulance to kind of use the reverse of ambulatory. They had him in the game in the final three minutes 
at Carolina, a game that was decided. Um, and he was taking hits. And it, to me, that's a huge mistake. I don't, I don't see another side to this argument. I, I think it's, I think it's negligent to leave a piece that important out on the board when the game's decided and, and risk injury. I asked Bronco Mendenhall after the game. I, I said, why, why would you have him out there? Why is that worth the risk? And Bronco said he, he wanted to send the message. He wanted the rest of the team to see that their their leader and their quarterback will fight till the very end. And I don't know that. To me, that seems cheesy, David. It, it, I don't think anybody doubts Brennan Armstrong's fight. I don't think anybody doubts Brennan Armstrong's toughness, right? Like, I don't think if he had not played the final series, the team would have lost confidence in him. Like, I don't know. That that felt a little, I don't know, almost like high school rah-rah pep talk that it just didn't seem needed. It, it just seemed like a bad risk to me. Agreed 100%, Mike. Brennan Armstrong doesn't need to prove anything to anyone, especially the dudes in his locker room. You know that they realize how much it all means to him. They've they've seen it. They saw it last year. They've seen it this season. Again, totally unnecessary. And I was like you. You were there watching in person. I'm listening on the radio. And I'm talking to myself out loud in the car essentially saying what the heck are you doing yeah just because if you lose that piece it, your season's over i mean i don't, I don't mean to be dramatic but we saw a year ago in yeah. fact against wake forest wake the team forest. they're about to play mm-hmm. you know, what it's like if you try to cobble it together with a bunch of you know really good athletes who are still learning the quarterback but it didn't work right they got blown out in wake forest and um now they have wake forest coming here another good offense different style but another really potent offense um and, you know, I think a pivotal moment because, David, you lose your ACC opener. You're a little bit behind the eight ball. In fact, we asked Bronco Mendenhall about that on Monday. Yeah, much harder. But if I, I think that if you, um, man, if you can get the lessons exposed and what needs to be improved early, early on, man, that gives us the best chance to recover and go forward. So UNC found themselves themselves in a similar uh, situation after losing to Virginia Tech in the opener. And, man, I think they've made considerable improvement uh, from what I have saw by the time um, that we've faced them. And so, yeah, um, some definite weaknesses exposed, some overestimations on my part of where exactly we were after two weeks. And so the urgency on a short week to get it all applied, yeah, the time is now. They do play Wake Forest Friday, so it's a short week. And he said much harder, much harder now to win a division title that you've got that loss to potentially the, the team that you would be uh, vying with for that top spot. So, David, big picture, um, do we think Virginia had a bad day in Chapel Hill or do we think Virginia is not as good as maybe the first two games indicated? Both. Bad day and certainly not as good as you, w- you would have thought after William and Mary in Illinois. You just... I don't know that either of those teams is is going to have a – I'd be surprised if either has a winning season. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And 0-2 would be a very difficult hole for Virginia to be in. The, the, the big thing the Cavaliers have going for them is they are so good at home. I mean, they've been virtually unbeatable there of like, what is it, 19 of the last 21 yep. in, in that range? But they they better have the chin straps buckled tightly for for Wake because Mike I did some research this morning. Here are the ten Power Five programs 
that have averaged at least 30 points a game each of the last four seasons. I'll go through them quickly. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, Oregon, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and Wake Forest. <laughs> David, one of these things is not like the other, like the old Sesame Street uh, song used to go. Uh, Correct. But Dave Clawson's done a phenomenal job with that offense. Sam Hartman's a, a very good ACC quarterback. Um, it's going to be a test. And, you know, certainly Virginia uh, had some issues exposed, I think, by Carolina that they have to address. We've already talked about Virginia Tech had some issues exposed uh, against West Virginia that they have to fix. And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the futures of both of these state teams. Tech and UVA suffered disappointing road losses this past weekend, but based on what you've seen through these three weeks going forward, which team do you have more confidence in? Who you got? Let's start with David. Guys, you know my theory on such matters. When in doubt, pick the best quarterback. And right now, I have a whole lot more confidence in Brennan Armstrong than I do Braxton Burmeister. Now, I know Tech can get right. You know, they've got Richmond this week, FCS in-state opponent coming to Blacksburg, whom Justin Fuente raved about yesterday, especially the, it's, it's the Spiders' defensive line, so they're ACC dudes. But, you know, the Hokies will get right on Saturday. Then they get a week off before Notre Dame. But I, I still have to go with Brennan Armstrong and UV. Okay. Mike? So I'm going to go with Virginia Tech, and the reason being, we've seen their defense at its best or, or at a very good level against Carolina. And, and I, just like you default to quarterbacks, I default to defense. And I think Virginia Tech's defense uh, will be fine. I think part of West Virginia was just being a little shell-shocked. The, the setting, the the game, the hype, the athletes on the field. I still think that defense is going to be really good this year. Um, I don't know if either of these teams um, is going to be able to compete with Carolina for the division title. I think Carolina is built to last more than, than either one, even though Tech beat them head-to-head. But of those two, I've got more confidence in Virginia Tech because I think there's going to be some ugly games in both teams' future. And in ugly games... Give me the defense. I think Virginia Tech's defense is going to regain the form we saw week one. So that's my prediction. And and now we'll we'll bring in somebody that we have a little more confidence in. Joining us now to make sense of, of all of these lines and over-unders and some of the other things that have left us a little baffled here in the first few weeks, uh, our good friend Aaron McFarling, the outstanding sports columnist from the Roanoke Times. He's here for his weekly se- segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. Aaron, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Mike. Uh, we lost our first lock of the week this uh, past week. We had Indiana. They went up 14 to nothing as a three-and-a-half-point dog, and things went off the rails. But other than that, doing very well. Had a good Sunday of NFL action and, and soccer. So ready to pick these uh, next Saturday games and Friday. Yeah, it did It did look good early on there in that Indiana-Cincy game. And uh, then, like you said, kind of kind of flipped on us, didn't it? Yeah, I was crowing. I was crowing in the press box in Morgantown. I was like, look at this, Indiana. And of course, you know, that is the kiss of death when you start celebrating too early. Well, you you were there in in Morgantown watching uh, Virginia Tech and, and WVU, a game that ended up having a pretty thrilling ending. I'm imagining less drama is what you're predicting this week for the Hokies. Now, there is no uh, official line on, on this game right now uh, with Richmond, an FCS opponent. But, Aaron, if, if you were setting uh, 
the line here. What do you put it at? Well, for the paper, you asked us to pick these this game, and uh, I, I put Virginia Tech 49, Richmond 12. That's kind of a stab in the dark. So I guess you're looking at 37 points there. Uh, you know, Fuente talked today about how Richmond probably could be undefeated, should be undefeated at this point. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm looking at, I think I think the Hokies have uh, something in their favor in addition to just being a better team in that they have a bye week or a, an open date next week. And you know those players do not want to sit for two weeks thinking about how they didn't run Richmond off the field. And I think that's going to give them a little extra motivation. Of course, they want to bounce back after losing to West Virginia. They're hearing from the fan base. And um, I just think that they're, you know, this should be a quick and, and, and decisive victory. Yeah, Tw- 12 points. So are you looking at four field goals? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of well, like our, our high school sports center here at the Roanoke Times, Robert Anderson. He always he always has some funky scores in there. And he's like, you know, sometimes these blowouts, teams miss extra points or they go for two and stuff. So I, I'm kind of taking a page out of his book there. I like that. I like that approach. Now, what should be a more intriguing matchup, uh, UVA hosting Wake Forest. You mentioned that is a Friday night game. Uh, I'm looking at Virginia as a four-point home favorite. I'm going to ask you about that, but I'm, I'm interested in the over-under here. Um, it's at 67, and you know we just watched Virginia in an absolute shootout with North Carolina. We're looking at two of the top five offenses right now in the ACC. Both of these teams are averaging about 40 points a game. UVA is at 41-3, and, and Wake is at 39.3. Um, I know Wake's been good defensively. I know Virginia's at home, but I, I don't know. That number seemed a little low. What do, what do you make of the over-under on this one? Yeah, I, I went Virginia at 40, Wake Forest 30, so I'm, I'm right around the over-under. You know, usually when you see a shootout like last week, we, they turn right around and have a defensive <laughs> struggle uh, the following. Who knows? What the, I mean, you know, and, and look, the Norfolk two-step that, that Wake Forest did, I mean – can we really draw too many conclusions from that? I'm not sure that we can. You know, Virginia, I mean, when you see what Illinois did with Maryland in terms of defense, uh, and then you compare that to what Virginia did to Illinois, uh, I think that, you know, that, that that win becomes a little bit more impressive. I guess the margin of victory of that win becomes even more impressive. They were the largest uh, overachiever in the ACC that that week in terms of uh, their their coverage of the spread. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, Virginia is just a they're, – they're a great road, home team. They're a great home team. And we've talked about it the last uh, two times they've been at home this year. I'm not coming off of them when they're at home. I think uh, I think they get it done again here. You know, the, the Deacons are 3-0, and but they've only covered the spread once. And, uh, that you know, that's what matters to me. Uh, it was against Florida State. That Florida State result was a surprise to, I think, a, a lot of people, including myself. Um you know, I thought Florida State would put up more more of a fight than that, but there there seem to be more dire straits than even we imagined. Yeah, I think it's time for all of us to to kind of back away from Florida State. And <laughs> that brings me to my next question, which I'm looking at Clemson. Um, only a 10-point favorite on the road at NC State. That line jumped out to me because it says, hey, maybe Vegas is, is jumping off Clemson, right? That's been um, a favorite horse to ride here, and rightfully so, for the last five or six years. Um, what did you make of that line? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they're not covered. They haven't covered in a while. They're they're 0-3 against the spread this year. Uh, Uyunglele has not you know, picked up the mantle the way you'd like right now for for Trevor Lawrence. I think that's been the big surprise is just that their offense has been uh, somewhat inept by their own standards for sure. I mean, they still have a great defense. Uh, I'm going big this week with my pup of the week. I'm going to go ahead and take NC State to win outright. I'm going to take them 27-24 over the Tigers. Um, you know, 
Tigers, you know, despite you know, in addition to not covering the spread this year, they failed to cover in their past six September games, and their past four mm-hmm. overall as a favorite. So, I mean, they're just they're not they're not rewarding betters for their faith, you know. And and so part of that is they've had huge huge numbers they've had to cover, and you know they get a little disinterested uh, at the end of some of those games. So, you know, take that with a bit of a grain of salt. But NC State is covered in seven of its past home games. You know, that's going to be a raucous environment. Home field matters again in 2020. One, we know that. We, you know, uh, Chris Collinsworth said that after the Baltimore game on Sunday night, and I think he's exactly right. We've been we've been preaching that here uh, since we started. So, uh, four of their past five as an underdog, they've covered. So, I- NC State, you know, they 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 fight in these types of matchups, and they fight at home. And uh, I, I love them with the ten, and I like them to win outright. I think you'll get about plus three hundred something in that neighborhood uh, on a, on a money line wager, and I think that's. Uh, a good value for it. Well, you impressed David with your pronunciation of Clemson's quarterback's last name. That's that's his area of expertise on this show. And uh, you've got my attention because Aaron McFarling here predicting that uh, what we know is coastal chaos may kind of bleed over to the Atlantic a little bit this year, right? And, and maybe they're not quite the slam dunk that we've been seeing in, in recent years. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of uh, interesting results across the country, you know, with Ohio State and, and Oklahoma and things like that. So maybe we're going to finally get a, a playoff with some some different names <laughs> among the four. But, yeah, credit to David. I think the reason I can't pronounce Uwe Ungalale is because I heard him on your podcast say it many, many times, and he does it so flawlessly. That That is where I'm learning as well. Well, we are learning from you. We appreciate the knowledge. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Yes, sir. Well, David, it seems like every episode of of the pod this season has included at least one segment where we spend some time banging on the ACC for (laughs) not being very good. And um, why should this be any different? (laughs) Exactly. And I would feel guilty, except they keep giving us new and fresh and better or worse, depending on your vantage point, examples of why we don't think the ACC uh, is very good. So let's start here and and, and let's start with Clemson, who did win. but man, they were in more of a dogfight than any of us expected. David, concern there? Mike, who would have thought after three weeks, raise your hands, that Clemson would rank last in the ACC in yards per game and yards per play? I mean, that's unfathomable. Yeah, we can't see because this is a podcast, but I hope nobody's hands are up because, yes. because you're lying. And um, it is. It's shocking how bad the offense has been. Um, you know, it's not just that, hey, it's not at Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Amari Ross level. You know what I mean? It's It's been bad. It's It's been a not good offense, not just a not spectacular offense. Now, the defense to me is still a championship level. And I think that I think the defense can buy the offense time to get it together. But with every passing week, David, I, I have more and more doubt, less and less confidence that the offense will come together. Well, remember how gruesome the injury news in the league was last week? Well, it hit Clemson mm-hmm. this week. Tyler Davis, arguably the best defensive tackle, if not the best defensive lineman in the conference is out six to eight weeks, Dabo Sweeney announced last night, uh, with with torn triceps. And I know Clemson's deep, especially on the defensive line, but that is 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 an issue. And oh, by the way, the presumptive starting running back in preseason 
Lynn J. Dixon, who got in running backs coach C.J. Spiller's doghouse, that's Dabo Sweeney's description, has now hit the transfer portal. He's been displaced by Will Shipley, the freshman, who had a nice game against George Tech. But man, I mean, like they couldn't even get off the one yard line to to, to clinch the game last week. They ended up taking a safety because they couldn't even line up under center and run Uyunglele on a quarterback sneak. I mean, the the the, the inept game management there late was startling. Yeah, and now you just heard Aaron McFarling tell us that he thinks they're going to lose this week against North Carolina State. Going into the year, I thought North Carolina State had a good chance to close the gap with Clemson. Um, Clemson certainly moved down a few pegs, but <laughs> NC State has not exactly been uh, the juggernaut that perhaps uh, I was predicting. Uh, David, as you look at that game, do we think there's a, a decent shot that Clemson gets beat here? I think there's a chance, especially since the game's in Raleigh. But until Clemson gives up a touchdown, <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, I don't mean to be flippant, no, it's... but the, the, the only touchdown scored against Clemson this year was on a pick six by Georgia. So Clemson's given up what a, a, a touchdown and a field goal. That's what it's defense or no, it, it's defense has given up a field goal and what another two, two field goals while its offense has given up a safety and a touchdown. (laughs) So the offense has given the team more points, given the opposition more points than Clemson's defense. Yeah. And again, I think that that defense is so good, uh, even with the injury. I think the defense is so good that uh, it can carry things for a while. But I'm I'm just starting to wonder if the offense is is ever – going to get it together now looking around the less the rest of the league david we've already talked obviously about tech west virginia miami gets beat oh. convincingly by michigan state and western michigan beats pittsburgh now i can't knock western michigan because i won a nifty little three michigan team parlay uh that that paid for a nice meal uh going forward here thanks to western michigan but that's not a good loss for the ACC, who was kind of pointing at Pittsburgh and saying, hey, look, they went to SEC country and beat Tennessee. Well, you give back that goodwill. Um, David, of all of those losses, is there one that that reeks the, the stinkiest? Western Michigan. Yeah. At home the week after you've beaten Tennessee, you give up 44 points, you know, and you waste a six-touchdown pass performance by Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. Now Pickett had some turnover issues, which, which which compromised the Panthers. But I mean, that's just a game that you, you can't lose. I mean, I thought Miami was going to lose. I just don't think the Hurricanes are very good. I don't. I, I didn't see them losing by three scores. I mean, that was that was embarrassing. But Miami has that penchant, and now. Tierra King has shoulder issues. I'd be very surprised if we see him this week against Central Connecticut. But then they've got to get ready on a short week mm-hmm. to, to, to welcome UVA. Yep. And, and, and another one of those games that could be pivotal uh, in, in the Coastal, which I think that's where we're at the point. You know, I, I think Miami has a chance to play its way out. I think Duke and Georgia Tech, we, despite what we saw from, from those teams here this weekend, I think we think both of them are, are out. Um, but I think nobody's good enough in the coastal that one of those out teams couldn't take you out on a given Saturday. And I think that's part of where the wildness in that division comes from. Well, 
you mentioned Georgia Tech. D- darn near took Clemson out. Right. So certainly anybody in the Coastal is <laughs> fair game for the Yellow Jackets going mm-hmm. forward. It's and, and, and I will say this because, yeah, yeah, we're banging on the ACC because they deserve it and they've been terrible. But it's a trend nationwide. We've seen, what, a record 19 ranked teams uh, in the AP Top 25 lose in the first three weeks. Um, Oklahoma, we suddenly have questions about their offense, that once once proud, you know, automatic quarterback Heisman factory. Uh, we have questions about them offensively. We have questions about Clemson. We have questions about Alabama defensively. I can't believe I just said those words. Hmm. Um, it might just be a funky year in college football. It could be, but Mike, but, but, but here's some more numbers. The ACC's three and eight in nine conference games against the rest of the power five. The big 12 is four and three. The big 10 is eight and five. The SEC is six and four. The PAC 12 is only three and six, but the PAC 12 has UCLA over LSU and Oregon winning at Ohio state. The ACC doesn't have anything remotely resembling that yeah i I think if you're the acc or or the pac-12 you're essentially a one-team leagues right i mean the pac-12 needs oregon to run the table uh just like the acc needs clemson to run the table the rest of the way um you know the the alliance (laughs) maybe maybe not as strong as as they had hoped because uh um there are are, are more they seem like there are more weak links in that alliance uh than there are strong ones right now Right now, you're absolutely right. But there's a lot of football left and a uh, lot still to come. And, and, and David, I still think we're in for an interesting year with Tech and UVA. And I still think that that final ball game could matter. I sure hope so. I mean, there's there's nothing like walking into a Tech UVA game with with major league stakes. It just ratchets it up. And, you know, it's happened a, c- a couple times when the Coastal was on the line where winner goes to Charlotte, uh, whether we get to, you know, we got a lot of fourth quarters before we get to that, <laughs> but sure would be fun. It sure would. And we hope this has been fun. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time. Next time.